everybody. This is Hondo Carpenter from Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation, Las Vegas Raiders Insider Podcast, joined by my dear friend, the one and only, the great Johnny Guitars, terrific journalist, well-respected attorney, and one of my favorite people. John, you see the comments. You don't get to see the emails. People want to know, when are you coming with a riff? Ah, we've tried it like two or three times, and the last time Hondo thought it didn't sound well enough. So um, well, I, I could use some time to get it, but what I'd like to do is get it directly into the machine uh, so it'll sound terrific. So we're still sound testing them, but look, there's 13 guitars here. They're in there. But the, I thought we were good to go last time, but the sound wasn't quite right. So uh, coming and soon. We were going to do a test after last time. Yeah. And we I didn't yeah. do it. So remember, we got to do it today. Yes. All right. John, we have so much to talk about. Um, by the way, I'm up here in the middle of the North Country and negative. It's going to get about negative 17 today. So I wish you were here. We got about 17 where I am, and that's good enough. I wish I was there too, but uh, I got a little taste of it, so I'll 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 I'll, I'll take it. That's fine. <laughs> I'll tell you what, hunting trips are a blast. All right, you, you know you married well when your wife says, "Okay, for Christmas I want a hunting trip and a new hunting rifle and a pink camouflage outfit." I did pretty good. I married pretty well, or I just married a country girl, one of the two. All right, lot to talk about, and we're going to get into a bunch on the Raiders. But I want to start going around the NFL. The other night on the Manning cast, Ray Lewis, who whether you like Ray or don't like Ray, he is arguably one of the greatest defensive players to ever play the game. Um, I think you could certainly put him in an argument with Lawrence Taylor. And there may be a couple of others among the all-time greatest. But I think if you're doing a Mount Rushmore of NFL defensive players from the past who aren't currently playing – He's on that mountain, gave a clinic on angles and, and tackling and how he doesn't think it's being taught anymore. What were your thoughts on that? Well, they got Ray Lewis on a good night on the Manning cast during the Eagles debacle, and he just tore right into him. He was talking about how it looked like the Eagles had quit for weeks. He was kind of beside himself at how bad they were tackling, and he really got into – People need to open their eyes when they're looking at tackling and how much of it is angles. What angles are you taking? And he was explaining what you could see on a couple of the plays where some of the Eagles took way too sharp a tackling angle and as a result, to the house. And we see that a lot at the college game. We certainly see it, you know, when kids are very small, you may see it really clearly. Um, but seeing it at the NFL, you don't see it as much as often. And if you see bad angles, look out for explosive plays. So Ray Lewis was kind of given a clinic on that one. And when you talk about coaching, that's one of the things that probably he was pointing at is what are you coaching your defensive backs to do? Uh, you're not coaching them to take a wide enough angle. You're not coaching them uh, to, to use the boundary as their friend when they can. And when it comes from Ray Lewis as a viewer or somebody that's covered the sport, you're thinking, great this is fuel and understanding and or great i i what i thought i was seeing in years past or maybe earlier this season i was also seeing but it's a walking defensive clinic when you hear ray lewis eli manning peyton manning talking about this defense has failed it's failing and here's why here's how here's why it shouldn't happen 
and the utter massive importance of your tackling angles, especially at that second, but if not that third level, the defensive backs. When we're watching these games this weekend, watch how many big plays don't happen. Most often it sounds to me like they don't happen because somebody took a good tackling angle rather than one that was bad or too sharp. When that happens, look out house. Yeah, I remember one time Brian and Packy Kelly, the coach at LSU, former Notre Dame coach, him and Packy invited my wife and I up to watch a spring practice. And uh, we went up there, and I remember that, I mean, he spent, I don't know, 40 minutes talking about angles and, and all of it. And that clicked in my head when you said it. And he talked about how oftentimes people will say a play affected one play affected the game. And I remember Brian telling the team, he goes, that's not true. Oftentimes it's an angle. You can have 10 guys on the right angle and one guy not, and he's able to cut out of it. And rather than having herded up against the boundary, he's now out in space and gone. And, you know, and that's what his offense was out in space. And you're absolutely right. I, I think that was one of the things for a long time we've seen the Raiders struggle with tackling. That is not something that you saw as of late, um, meaning, you know, after AP took over and there were some changes made, you saw a lot of emphasis put on that and the Raider tackling was better. You you cannot overemphasize angles, can you? I don't think you can because, you know, back in our day, we saw the rise and the relative fall of a great defensive program at Michigan State. And when you see the fall, a lot of times it's because of the tackling angles and somebody's running to the house. And you may yeah. say, well, maybe that's just an athlete difference. Uh, maybe it is sometimes, but uh, we're not talking about an athlete difference, especially at the NFL level. It's critically important. And what I hear, to me, it's such a big deal to hear Ray Lewis say it. That, that like one of the first questions I want to ask my new defensive coordinator, whoever it is, let's say there's a, a hooded sweatshirt coach coming to Atlanta to coach. How do you guys teach angles? What are some of the things you look for? What are some of the things uh, that matter from their college tape when you draft them? The tackling angles stood out like a thumb because the Buccaneers didn't really have a lot of problems with that. And when we watch mm -hmm. these games this weekend, we're going to see them. And as you mentioned, as you saw the Raiders defense tighten the screws, my guess is that they were getting something done during the week on that matter. Because as Nick Saban has famously said, if you're not coaching it, you're letting it happen. So what is your defensive backfield coach doing about your defensive backs taking good and not overly sharp tackling angles? That's a great question for all these months in the offseason and OTAs that are coming. I remember last year, the Raiders loved Kalijah Cansey out of pit. They loved him. They didn't like him. They love him. In fact, they loved him so much, we did an interview with him because if if he had been there, uh, well, never mind. I don't need to get into any backdoor stuff. But they loved Kalijah Cansey. They really wanted him. They coveted him. They, they felt he was, you know, if not the best, one of the best defensive tackles in this draft and one of the best in a few years. That's how good they thought of him. And they raved about his angles that Pat had really taught him well um, how to read the angles, how to understand the angles. And I remember talking to Pat Narduzzi 
um, during the offseason last year before the draft. And he goes, the kid just sees geometrically. He just he is able. He goes, Pat said it this way, and I'm not a golfer. There are some guys that can come up and read the green. They can see every dip, everything of the, and I'm not a golfer, and know where to hit the ball so that it ends up in the hole. And he goes, they're able to see the green geometrically. And he used that example to me of how Kalijah Kansi saw the field. And I thought that was very interesting going along with what Brian said um, when you talked about Ray Lewis. All right, let's talk about Jason Kelsey's going to retire. Um, I think he's the second greatest center to ever play, only behind Mike Webster. Um, I, I think he is an elite player. I think he's a great player. He's a glue guy. Um, I, I don't have enough high praise. I, I, I like him a lot personally. You know, I got to know him a little bit when he was at Cincinnati, where one of my best friends, Butch Jones, was the coach with him and his brother, Travis. Um, I would love to see him and Travis walk out at the same time, but that's not going to happen. Travis still has meat on the bone, but, uh, even going back to the Bearcats, he was a special talent, special guy, special locker room. I mean, he was able to convince Butch to let Travis come back and, and he basically co-signed for Travis and, and Travis loves him and adores him. His teammates love and adore him. The game of football lost a great player in Jason Kelsey. I'd love your thoughts. I think they lost him. Now, I'm curious who's going to be the coordinators that come in and or coaches that come into Philadelphia. So I, I hold a, a slight sliver of hope there. Um, it is an interesting story and one that intertwines with changes in, in, in programs, which is, which is interesting. From Mark D'Antonio, I suppose, recruiting the Kelsey family, moves on to Michigan State, and then you've got other coaches that come in and out of Cincinnati. You've got the story of Jason basically like you said, co-signing and pulling Travis into that madhouse is how it was described. Um, then you've got what I see is a consistent development in a player. So there's a skill and a, a tool and a skill set that the guy has. There's a really master professional continuing to carve out and master his craft into you know the latest innovation with, with the push play. Um, I don't know enough about centers to know where he would stack up to a Dermani Dawson, who was a dominant one uh, in an era not too far gone. But I see him as a significant survivor. Look what he's been through just in Philadelphia. The highs of the Super Bowl, a Super Bowl loss, a just remarkable train wreck of an organizational decision or two relative to Chip Kelly, relative to, to Carson Wentz over Doug Peterson. And he survived, which is tremendous because you know sometimes with that kind of guy what stands out to me is it's hard to appreciate his value until he is gone how bad or not good would the eagles have been had they not had kelsey well we may find out as soon as next fall but I, something gives me a little bit of hope that there might be a window open if he is very um thrilled with whoever might come down the pike to lead the offense next, uh, enormous amount of criticism at a very high level of the Eagles with Dan Orlovsky, you know, laying it out on film, uh, talking about them running a college offense, which at the NFL level is a really sharp dig. So the Eagles have some serious work to do there. I think we all massively underestimated the losses that they took relative to coordinating 
and the ability to uh, really evaluate what was working and what wasn't and stay fresh and stay innovative because obviously people figured the Eagles out and they look like they imploded. They will have a tougher time coming back to put on the Captain Obvious hat. It's going to be tougher without Jason Kelsey under center next year. But something tells me just a sliver of hope. Let's just maybe wait and see, just in case they pull somebody to run their offense that he says, oh, well, we can get back to the Super Bowl. I believe until the season starts, he's not retired. I just, I know how much he loves the game. He loves it. He's passionate about it. And I, I hope he comes back, even if it's to another team, which I, I, I just know how much he loves Philly, but. Yeah, I just hope he's not done. All right, I want to talk about the wild card games because you saw Tua lose, which I thought was a big deal, and then you saw Dak lose. And these are two guys that are up for some contracts. Uh, that was not a good way for them to end. I, I, I love the Dolphins. I'm not a big fan of finesse teams. You know that. To me, physical teams are are the way that you go in the modern NFL. I think there's a swing back to that. Um, I'm not a buyer on the Cowboys. I just and I don't think it's Mike McCarthy. I mean, three, twelve, and five seasons. I I think it's organizational. I think it's incite a sense of entitlement. I'm gonna I'm gonna share a conversation I had with um, Nick. And I had a very similar conversation with Bobby Bowden that when, and I had the conversation with both of them when social media was just starting, the internet was big and, and social media was getting in its infancy. But Bobby Bowden talked about these kids get on there and read, Oh, I'm a five-star and I'm great. And they go to message boards and read everybody talk about how great they are. And Nick, pretty much said the same thing. And they talked about how it's difficult because players would get to Florida state. Now this is when Bobby was coaching and things were really humming and Nick things were humming and just about now it's even worse with social media, but they get in their heads, how great they are. And they think, Oh man, I've already arrived and they haven't. This is a, I think that happens in Dallas. They hear how great they are. They're America's team. And you see that, I mean, listen, let's give Micah Parsons credit. That guy plays balls to the wall every play. But you see guys almost, well, we're going to win. We're Dallas. I don't see that as much in the Dolphins. I certainly do. But those two gentlemen cost themselves some money in their next contracts. What do you think? Well, I thought a couple of things, you know, and, and after seeing a tremendous in-season finale of hard knocks, I felt the cold coming through the TV. I mean, it strikes you just how cold and how impactful that cold was. So the first thing that I took away from the Dolphins thing is they have to get home field. They have got to get home field. There is no way they're ever getting to a Super Bowl again without home field. They had a shot at it this fall. They didn't take care of it. They obviously got way too injured, but holy cow, was that important. Um, what we see with Tua is not the same cap jail that the Cowboys are in. 
Boy, the Cowboys have to extend Dak Prescott because of cap pressure that they have. It is an right. ugly situation because they got a 59.5 million charge in 2024 with 62 million of dead money if he is traded or released. So what that tells me, probably not going to be released and nearly impossible to trade him. So they've got to re-sign him, even if for nothing else reason other, you wouldn't re-sign him to cut him, but but to trade him. So I don't think he's going anywhere. Tua is a different situation. It looks like he's got some more flexibility. It's also, it's it's a little, um, it's less clear, I guess, because of the amount of flexibility he has. There is always, I think, going to be a durability concern about Tua. But I don't see a concern with how much the coach is in love with the quarterback. When he broke down, the reason that Tua has gotten better is because of the core strength and the advantage that he sees in having such a wide stance, kind of like Drew Brees, where he's pretty much ready to quick release. I don't think there's any question that Mike McDaniel wants to keep riding with Tua. The question is, what can they do for a lesser crunch in Miami? And I would think that the simple answer is to craft some kind of extension for Tua that makes sense for the Dolphins and for him. I don't have any indication that Dak Prescott is anywhere near a guy that's too into him and not into the team enough, like a lot of folks in Dallas. I don't think the issue issue is Dak, and I don't think it's Micah. No. I think it's other players. Yes. And and to that effect, there is none of that issue with Tua. Tua looks to be a, a team guy first also. So let's see how these teams go from uh, not a stumble, uh, uh, obviously a face plant for Dallas. I don't think Miami face planted. They had guys off the street, and honestly, they they really got hosed on the big missed call, on the big holding. I mean, they really did. That was a massive yeah. hosing. Let's see how they go from here to this very weekend next year. My guess is that Miami is in better shape to be further along next year than Dallas. Dallas is expected to lose Dan Quinn. Dallas may lose the head coach. Dallas does look a little unsure. It looks like they were plain shocked at what happened. And what they have needed there, which is why some of us thought Nick Saban would have been a great hire there a decade ago, they need somebody to push back against the natural hospitality, build-up, hype, shoulder padding that comes with being on the Cowboys that starts at the top of their organization. They need somebody to shut the locker room door and effectively say, those people don't know what they're talking about. None of that means anything. You guys are not as good as you think you are. Now play like it. And that has not really ever happened quite enough or late enough in the season. And that's why that balloon, once again, in Dallas, went pop. You know who I'm talking about, but the fans won't. I I had a very good friend who played for the Cowboys, was a starter, was a legitimate player there. And he told me, he goes, where he thinks it's bad is the marginal guys, which is the majority of the roster. You can't go to a restaurant about being treated like God. And, and he talked about, you know, the stars didn't go out. They they hung around. They worked hard. They did their thing. And and he shared so many stories that it was hard to find guys who wouldn't get mesmerized by the love. I think that was fascinating. All right. I want to talk about Jim Harbaugh. 
at the time of the of this taping, obviously, because you don't know when people are going to watch it. Um, he's not yet picked a team. Um, he has made it very clear for years he would like to go back to the NFL. I know that that's not been his wording, but it's been his actions. And NFL teams have not been interested in him. And, you know, last year, he all but begged for the Raiders job. They didn't give him an interview. It was, it was not a, a priority to them. Two things. I don't think Jim's in danger of hurting his legacy at all. At all. But I find it fascinating. And here's the question I have for you. At what point will Michigan fan get tired of the constant flirting and begin to turn on him? Now, the, let me just tell you why I'm saying this. I'm a native Michiganian. Um, and I know everyone corrects me when I say it says it's Michigander. No, Michigander was invented as a as a derogatory term about people from Michigan. They were called Michiganians. I'm a Michiganian. And I have several family members who I love them, but they're black sheep in the family. They're not Wolverines. They're, I mean, they're not Spartans. They're Wolverines. And so, you know, they're big Michigan fans who love Jim. And I have nothing bad to say about the guy. He's a great coach. And, but they're even getting tired of it. Hey, if you don't want to be here, go. At what point do you think he's in danger of having Michigan fan turn on him? Or is he never in danger? He's won a title and he shouldn't be in danger. That's kind of, I'm the latter. I think, listen, this guy took you to a national title, won it. I think you deal with his flirting. Deal with it. Uh, that's me. Where are you at on this? I think this year certainly bought some time. So after two years of what looked like a full court press, uh, media, different agents uh, trying to shoehorn your way and then kind of a little bit of an embarrassing situation in Minnesota where somebody on his side seemed to leak that he was about to get the job, um, humility strikes. They have another year that as of this taping is, is intact. I think the championship will buy him at least two years of a critical mass of Wolverine fan and supporter saying enough with the NFL push. Uh, for those at Michigan State and LSU, they remember the, the NFL push and pull with Nick Saban. And uh, as we learned earlier this week, maybe the folks at Alabama didn't realize how much push and pull there was during his time there. Um, Cowboys, Falcons, Giants, etc. So how much time does Harbaugh have? Well, he's obviously got free reign around Michigan for at least a year and probably another one. Now, had they gone significantly backward this year, I think you would have seen a different story. So if for some reason Jim Harbaugh doesn't get out into the NFL this year, I think he's got two seasons in a rapidly shortening college football expectancy, as in it's okay to build a program, it takes this many years. That's getting squeezed without any question. I think he's got two seasons before a critical mass says, I think we've kind of squeezed all that we can out of this thing. It's time to go away. Now, that being said, if we were betting today, it feels like it's at least, uh, it feels better than 50-50. It feels a lot more like he's going to get an NFL opportunity this year than he did the last couple where it looked like he, he was just kicking up dust. 
I'm sorry, where I'm sitting, because we're so oh, high yeah. in the north country, it's the sun. Oh, that's cool. I was, I was staring Looks at like the Looks like I'm in the spotlight. Looks like I'm in the spotlight. All right, but it, it's, um, it's fascinating. The interesting thing to me is what's going to happen with the contract? Because for folks that don't know who are NFL-focused, the NCAA has not recognized the three games that he sat out at the start of the year. So there's a real good chance he's going to get a six-game suspension for what happened in 2020. And that has nothing to do with uh, the Pandora's box that is a three-year cheating scandal that actually had in-game impact that you can see on tape where coaches and people are talking to each other and changing plays. How do you handle that one? Put that to the side. It's very likely that the NCAA is going to levy a suspension. It seems that it's approximately going to be three to six games. What happens? Does that carry over to the NFL? That is something that I know every team is trying to figure out. And they're running a business. So if they can buy their way out of it or, or figure out some other way, I'm sure that they would rather lose a, a low-round draft pick, for example, than lose their coach. Who's going to pay for that? This is a bit of a wild card and a bit of a mess. And for some reason, it seems to me like it's – unless this is all Chargers and it's already done, this is moving a little slower than Jim Harbaugh probably would like. It seems a little less comfortable. And as we see more reports, Atlanta may be interested, and this one may be interested. I got to think that around the league of those 32 teams, people get a little bit of a chuckle. Like, are we going with this again? Like the last two years where the guy was kicking up dirt and there was no there there? Anybody that saw the Patrick Mahomes game last week, his helmet literally split. Yes. I mean, literally. And the manufacturer comes out and says, boy, the helmet did its job, and, and he's safe. There's no concussion. Um, but, man, was that a, as big of an indicator about how football has changed, John? In a good way, yes. We yeah. can go back to 1999, if you remember. New York Times article comes out saying helmets have to change. Here's some new technology to minimize impact, manage impact, Think about how a car crumples. Think about how a helmet receives impact. Barry Alvarez at Wisconsin at the time goes on record saying, yeah, we got to get this done. It's something like this. We need some improvement. Nothing happens in the helmet industry. You've got a helmet monopoly that kind of, we're just going to keep on going the way we are. We see more and more head injuries. We see more and more issues. Thanks to the folks at Real Sport who unfortunately highlighted a guy you mentioned earlier, Mike Webster and others. Um, now we see real innovation in helmets. We've seen Drew Stanton on this channel before. Drew Stanton's college career ended because a helmet literally failed and he was concussed. It wasn't a cold weather failure. It was a plain old failure. Very rare to see that happen. What we saw Saturday was Mahomes' helmet fail, most likely because it was far reason cold, but the engineering inside of that apparently protected him. Now, he wasn't hit at maybe the most vulnerable spot to have a concussion, but do credit the helmet manufacturer there, the shell breaks or whatever you call the outside of it, but the inside of it still in good enough shape so he does not get concussed. So what I do think we have seen is some innovation and improvement in the helmet technology. I know we saw some strange shapes. I know we saw some strange uh, grills. Uh, some of those have been eliminated. 
some of the shapes, there's still a couple things that stand out. But what we're seeing is some improvement, and that is only a part of the bigger package that continues to need to happen of the sport to take out head injuries. Now, there needs to be some, some yin and yang, some give on that, because we've seen guys, unfortunately, with big leg injuries as recently as this weekend. We can talk about that in, in the offseason. But I do think we're seeing some progress. And I think that the league needs to, again, address the penalties, make them graduated, clear some things up, and really set a baseline for the sport, kind of like USA Hockey did way back when, when I was playing. You've got to see what you hit. And if you don't see what you hit, you got to be penalized. And maybe, just maybe, if we make that the focus and bring that up and in, it's not that we want to bring back hits to the head, but if a guy sees what he hits and he's got his hands up and his helmet happens to hit the other guy uh, that he's tackling, that's a whole lot different than going down and putting the crown in. So yeah, you, you know, John, I got a real, I got a real problem with um, today's modern football. I'll give you an example. A defender's going in to make a play and a quarterback cringes, and now it's helmet to helmet. But when he went in to make the play, it would have been helmet against a shoulder or a helmet against a sternum. I Listen, we got a lot of players in the NFL, former and current, that listen to this podcast every week. They all know I want them safe. But even they've talked about it's almost like they've gone to an extreme where you have defenders now. Oh, my God, I'm afraid to go in for a hit. What happens if the guy I'll, – I'll tell you a great one. Uh, recently, my wife and I were having dinner with a defensive back, good friend of ours. You know him well. And and we were talking about the game, and he, and he talked about I'm afraid to go in for a hit. Because if a wide receiver ducks and we go helmet to helmet, I'm in a no-win situation. You, I get you have to be careful. This takes us back to what you and I have been talking about since the start of the season. They've got to add another official upstairs. with, And I, I simply call him the common sense official. He's got to be able to read it and say, okay, when this defender left his feet, he was headed for a shoulder. This guy crunched. We don't want it, but we're going to let that one go. Where am I wrong, John? You're not wrong, but the really the key is, and I've been harping on this for years, these replays, they have to be run in real time, in real speed, so you can make a judgment. And maybe we just call him the game judge. The game judge takes a look at this play. He sees in real time that when the tackle began, the offensive player, the ball carrier was here and he moved this way and that created it to be a helmet to helmet. I think the league has gotten a little better at that. We need it at the top two levels of the sport. You've got to review those kind of plays in real time and you've got to have a graduated scale. You've got to have, it's not a warning, but should they all be 15 yards? No. And or like we saw the other day, and I think maybe Ray Lewis talking about it, these penalties don't offset. A personal foul, or no, it's Peyton Manning. Personal foul is 15, the holding's 10. Somebody's getting hosed out of five yards. So there are improvements are that, need improvements that need to be made. We talked about the competition committee. Everybody on there has another job. It's time not to bloat it, but it's time to pull somebody else in there who's just focused on this. So when they do get together, 
when they get together in the offseason, especially, we can go through these bullet points. Nobody should have any question about, well, I don't even know what we should talk about. Of course not. You guys have been too busy. We over here who do this all year, the competition committee folks um, who are working there all year, go right down the bullet points. There's improvements that can be made, but a combination of technology improvements, uh, officiating and regulation improvements, player improvements, making sure you see what you hit, asking guys or training players at a younger age, instead of hitting with your shoulder, you're going to have to use your hands. It's not two-hand touch. You're going to push a guy down, and then maybe there will be some more hand and wrist injuries. But I think these are longer-term answers that are going to take a little bit more time. The short-term ones are kind of what you just described. Give me a game judge who's going to take a quick look at a play and make a determination. This was the targeting or no, no targeting here because of the way in real time at real speed the ball carrier or the quarterback moved. So I did not come up with this. I don't know who did, but I've seen it, and I know you wanted to talk about it as well. The idea about heated fields, I love this idea, and it's not hard to do. It's very easy to do to have, be able to you know flip a switch and heat the field just because of the softness. I, I, I'm trying to remember. I think it was Pat McAfee I heard say this recently, that he went to play a cold-weather game. And I don't remember if it was in Green Bay. I don't remember if it was in Kansas City, but where it was. And McAfee had on his cleats. And the equipment guy's like, hey, you may want to put on tennis shoes. He goes, no, nah, I'm wearing cleats. He goes, he went out there. The first ball he went to kick, like, like Lucy and Charlie Brown, ends up on his back. I know watching a lot of games in cold weather, though it's like playing on concrete. I don't like it. I hate it. I, I'm all for heated fields. That's something you can do to make the game safer that doesn't change the game. Your thoughts? Yeah, and we, we may have seen that at a place like Green Bay, but um, it, it, we also saw Kansas City. Um, you saw it in Hard Knocks. The folks that saw it, the, the, the staff at Miami basically said, that's just frozen dirt. It's painted. And what we saw this weekend, we all saw multiple either concussions or close to concussions because the field was so hard. It is not asking a lot to have a minimum level of warmth at the field level. Now, some of the old, old, old timers out there have some stories for sure about Al Davis and the Oakland Coliseum and all that stuff. You guys, you know some of those stories out there. Uh, obviously, not a problem for the Raiders. But GHEA Field looked horrible. You got to get some heat in there for the safety of the players. We're now seeing what we saw. It looked like more guys were concussed because of, or really close to concussions, because of the fields being too cold and frozen. That's an era past. Those guys were slower. They weren't as large. The impacts, the force weren't as big. And or their brains were damaged. We've seen the outcome of that. We don't want to see that. Let's get a little better field. And I'm all for grass whenever we can have it. That's not the problem. We got to make sure that we have some cushion. It wasn't a good look for the sport last year. This is an easy place where they can improve, I would assume, as quickly as next year. I would love to see the NFL say all outdoor fields will keep the field at a temperature of 36, 37, whatever they decide. and 
there'll be in any new stadium moving forward, there'll be no artificial turf. I I that I I would love to see that. All right. Got a few more things I want to talk to you about. Number my next one is this. I think Pat McAfee is good for the game of football. I know there's a lot of people that don't like him. I know he irritates a lot of people. I, I'm sorry. I like McAfee. I have no issue with it. I think he's good. What are your thoughts on McAfee? Um, it, it, it's well, I, I don't know how much longer he's going to be on the ESPN air. Um, I think that there is an upside to his approach, but historically in major broadcasting, there would be some production and or some kind of a governor. Now, I'm not saying a governor to, uh, to to cut him off because he is pulling back some sides and curtains of things that would never be discussed that probably deserve, yeah, probably to, be deserve to be out in the, the light of day. Um, he's obviously in some real danger of, of potentially losing his ESPN deal for cause. Uh, I believe that ESPN may have that in their back pocket right now if they want to use it. And I don't know what's going to happen after the season. But we're seeing a different perspective. It is a guy that played the game. It is a guy that has some obviously tremendous uh, connection with people that he played with and that he knows in the sport. So there's a lot of good that can come out. Um, there's some show parts or, you know, acts or whatever that uh, people that, that people can decide to absorb that or focus on that, or they can kind of look past that and like grab something out of the message that you're hearing. Uh, and I think to me, that's where the value comes in. Um, it's a time of transition what's going on on that college game day desk is a massive time of transition. Everybody knows that. I don't think it's a great idea to get him involved in that in his show in the NFL all at the same time. I think that's probably too much for one person to take. I but totally disagree with you. I think he's good for college. I think he's good for pro. I love the fact he calls out the NCAA. No one at ESPN does that other than him. No. Um, no. I, I, I think it's great. I think the way he gets young people involved, you know, he's brought a different demographic. Would I do things the way McAfee does? No, but that doesn't mean he's wrong and I'm right. I just, no. here's what gets me is talking to players all the time. They love him. They love that show. And you know, this year, having Nick on every week, I mean, uh, that was awesome. I think having Nick was phenomenal every week. Yeah. I just think it's fascinating. I think it's it's amazing to me uh, just what he's done. And I normally, we don't comment on media here. Oh. But the, the reason I ask is I told you having dinner the other night with uh, an NFL defensive back who, I mean, he spent the first half hour talking about McAfee. And my wife kept leaning over, who's he talking about? Because she doesn't watch McAfee. Finally, I said to her, the guy on college game day that you think is really funny. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, she's never watched his show one time, but thinks he's great on, on college game day. Yeah. And it just made it me think, I think he's good for the game. I think he, you know, we all remember the, the well, I probably shouldn't talk about that, but we just all know. I, I I think sometimes the coverage gets stuffy. Yes, it's not sterile. Yeah, th th this is not a sterile. This is not sterile. This is a uh, a a real mixer in the drink that is 
coverage of football. And the thing that is really true that's hard to deny is this is a this is a grassroots. This is not like a guy that picked just came out from the top. Like this is like a grassroots thing that's come up from the ground. So that's why I think there's traction there. Yeah, you see you see JJ Watt on the show, you see uh Saban on the show, you see a host of folks beyond the the the, the controversial or mistaken whatever that was from Aaron Rodgers, there's a lot of good there. Uh, I'm curious to see how it's going to evolve and be produced, but you've got a relatively sterile and homogenized situation there. So a little spice every once in a while is okay. Now, how much do we dilute that spice? That's the, the that's the danger. How how do we how do we manage it or control it so it doesn't explode? Um, but we don't dilute it to the point that it's just another empty suit, if you will, or another. Another person yeah. saying about the same stuff on ESPN. Or I don't want to spend too much time talking about media, but I want to say this about McAfee. I'm concerned in our country, um, and I think you share this as an attorney, I, just because I know you as a personal friend, that, okay, I believe in free speech unless you disagree with me. And you know what? You can't walk into a into a movie theater and yell fire. And there are limited, you know, your free speech doesn't mean freedom from consequence. But, and I'm not saying that it should be, but I always get nervous when people start screaming for censorship because I want people to be able to give their opinions and, and whatever it is, even if I disagree with them. Um, and I just think, and I, I did not realize how big of an issue McAfee was until this dinner. And uh, it it was fascinating to me. All right, I want to get on to the next subject. Uh, let's talk about the NFL had some interesting coaching decisions, and then we're going to get to the games real quick. But I want to. By the way, I am waiting for a text, everybody. That uh, is something that John and I could be discussing. So when you see me looking at my phone, I know sometimes people in the comments, "Oh, Hondo ignores John." No, I'm literally waiting for a text that if I get the okay, we're going to talk about it. Um, John, there was. Yeah. There was interesting decisions. Okay? Yeah. Up Let's level. talk about teams playing it safe. Uh, I I didn't understand <laughs> it. I know well, Houston won I, a couple times. Yeah, I thought I mean, they played it safe. What would you think of that? Yeah. You know, uh, there's a highlight uh, about the situation uh, in the first quarter. The Texans had a fourth and two, and they took the points. Uh, was that a good decision or a bad decision? There was some some controversy there. You know, on the one hand, you think they're at home um, doing the math, uh, you know, 98 yards the other way. So there's a lot of reasons to go for it. On the other hand, there are some folks that believe you just simply accumulate points until a certain point in the game or at least into the fourth quarter. Um, this was criticized as, as a really bad decision. I'm not so sure that it was. Was it that bad to take those points rather than go for the fourth and two from the two-yard line in the first quarter? Yeah, I agree. How about them Lions? I'm not a Lion fan. In fact, I got to tell you, I got so many emails from Raider Nation. Hey, I know you're rooting for the Lions. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm I'm, I'm not a fan. I love I'm a fan of the game of football. Yes, I have friends who play for the Lions. Yes, I have friends who work for the Lions. Yes, I have friends who coach at the Lions. Same thing with the Raiders. I'm I'm not a fan 
But I love Dan Campbell and his let's roll. I, I, I do. I like it. Yeah, it's easy to say that their decision to go for it um, on fourth and, and one from the Rams, from the two, they're in the second quarter. It's easy to say because it worked. Hey, it was a great decision. But what I think, what this play reminded me of goes back a while. The Patriots were playing the Colts, and there was a fourth down that Belichick decided to go for it, and they came up short, and he got hammered for it. And that was really the play that opened my my eyes to, well, was that really a bad decision? Um, if you think you're more likely to win the game by making the play going forward on fourth down, I actually think it's the right call nearly every single time. So in the old fashion thinking, you know, we'd always punt in situations or always take the points, but I don't know that that's the case. So not only did the Lions decision make some sense because you had the momentum at a time in the game where it, it's relatively early second, you're not going to be stuck in the second quarter buried by it. That, that's probably not going to happen, but they also might've been thinking and Dan Campbell seems to be it's not that he's favoring his offense, but he does not seem afraid or lacking any confidence that he's got plays that his guys can make. There are games that we would probably have, we probably talk with Belichick or Parcells. We'd probably talk with uh, Joe Gibbs. We'd probably talk with Bud Grant. We'd probably talk with Landry, guys that are uh, alive and have passed away. That If they looked at it now, the way the game is played, they'd probably say, no, we would have gone for it. You know, we would have gone for it. We didn't have to worry about this guy getting clotheslined or whatever it was. So what I think we're seeing, and for me, it started with that very controversial Patriots decision to go for it on fourth down against the Colts. But the message there was, I think we have a better chance to win the game here on offense by getting the first down than by kicking it and or in these situations like the Lions than by taking the points. We are in the era of people have realized this and they're going for it more often. I'm all for it. If you, as the coach, think we have a better chance of winning this thing with the ball in our hands, go for it. If not, kick that thing away. But it's a definitely a different era that we're seeing. It's a fun era. I, I got to tell you, when you look at Dan Campbell, D'Amico Ryans, and now you're seeing Antonio Pierce. All right. I think I may have just fixed the light in my eye situation. All right. But oh, I guess I didn't. But when you're looking at the changes in the NFL. I like these new guns coming in, don't you? Yeah, because they were coached by some greats. Um, they've been around. They're, they're somewhat similar age to all of us, and we're seeing what they've got to, to, to mix. Now, the interesting part about those guys is they all played. Not everybody like a Mike McDaniel played. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's an interesting contrast, and we are seeing – really much more of a four down sport than than we ever have obviously but it for some of the old older folks out there this is a remarkable contrast to where you could practically be like all right we're gonna punt i'm gonna get up i'm gonna go you know walk the dog or take the trash out or whatever and i'll come back and the other team's got the ball that 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 era is gone we are now at a time and we will see it this weekend there will be third and fourth down and maybe a late clock situation that will expose who is coordinated in a late clock situation and who right, is not. Let's quick, let's quickly get to the games. We're up against a hard break here. Yes. Houston travels to Baltimore. I love CJ Stroud. You know that. I've said it all yes. along. 
I want him to win. I'm rooting for D'Amico. I'm rooting for the Texans. I want them to win this game. I'm going with Baltimore, but I, it's not because I don't want Houston to win. No moral victories in the NFL, of course. A moral victory would be hanging with the Ravens. It just looks like everybody else. I'm expecting the Ravens to do real well at home and rested. Green Bay, you know I love Jordan Love. I predicted them to win the NFC Norris. They just peaked a little bit too late, and the Lions were able to get it. I love what the Pack's doing. I love what they're becoming. But I'm sorry, going into San Fran, I, I, I'm, and I'm, I'm going to feel guilty because I'm taking every home team. I just give this one. But you got to remember, at this stage in the NFL, the home teams are the teams that were better all year. Yep. I'm taking San Fran over the pack. Your thoughts? Green Bay is so young, and they're ahead of schedule. Just like Houston, they're going to take some education here. The young sweat defense had some promise in Washington. Obviously, it ended. The young Bosa reunited in San Francisco. Look out. The 49ers are getting going. I am a Baker Mayfield guy. I have too many friends of mine who played with him, who respect him. He's grown up. Um, I think this is a great story. He's not the same kid that, you know, was in college. I love his story. I love what he's doing in Tampa. I love the coach at Tampa, who we're gonna, who gets a question this week from a media person, but how's your team gonna handle the cold in Detroit? And he's like, well, you know, well that that walk, that twenty second wide from the bus ride inside the building will be tough, but we'll be ready. He tried so hard to be classy. It was oh my god, was that hilarious? But it was it, I, I, I love Tampa. Got a lot of good friends on that team, in that organization, just like I do with Detroit. I'm taking the home team in the Detroit Lions. Playing very well, the Buccaneers. Incredible caller of defense, Todd Bowles. If the Lions make how many mistakes? Two mistakes? Can they get away with a third big mistake? Mm -hmm. This is close. Lions by less than four. I'd be careful. I'm afraid that so much emotion dumped out last week. Hopefully it was more in the fans than the locker room in Detroit because Tampa is sharp. Their utensils are sharp. They are not likely to beat themselves. Lions by a bit. I think this game is so close that if they played it in Tampa, I'd be picking Tampa. Okay, next. Kansas City goes to Buffalo. This is it. This is going to be a butt-whipping. Your thoughts? I don't see any kind of I'm, whipping. I'm Buffalo. Yeah, I don't see a whipping. Um, I do see, see a team that I thought would be in the Super Bowl preseason. I thought they've been too injured. I'm still worried that they're too injured. But they are really playing well, and they have benefited from the in-season coordinator change that they made. This train is going forward. It's not stopping here. I expect a big party in Buffalo. And then they got to come back down to earth and realize this is not the Super Bowl. But look, we've seen who the Chiefs have been this year. This is their chance to get them. The Bills will ride and jump from whatever snow pile onto the tables once again. All right, John. Two quick questions, and I got to get you out. Yes. Max Crosby comes out and spoke vocally about his owner, of which I said, I don't think he did anything wrong. He loves his owner, loves the Raiders. 
he's a generational talent who's earned the right to give his opinion. You know, fans, some fans say, you know, you're an employee, keep your mouth shut. Well, Mark Davis, this is a business. And Max Crosby doesn't have to play for the Raiders. He's got a contract, but he can hold out. You know, the Raiders made a business decision when they moved from Oakland to Las Vegas, and I think it was a great decision. But this is a business, and he was willing to speak out because he has the collateral. I had no problem with him doing it. I was supportive. I don't think he was wrong. Your thoughts? I think he knew what he was doing, and he put a stake in the ground at a point in his career where it was okay to make it. Um, and I think it, it it's probably a little bit better for, for Max than the Raiders, but I don't have a huge problem with it. The only downside potentially is if the Raiders were to have gone or to go another way, it potentially diminishes his trade value a smidge, but I got no problem with it. I think it's probably the right time, and this is not something that Crosby's going to do over and over again. He thought this is the time to do it. He did it. No problem with it. And the fact that they listened to him is a huge deal. All right, lastly, Antonio Pierce. He brings the swag. He's smart. Um, Braylon Edwards on this podcast has talked about him, that even though he was a Jet and AP was a Giant, he he knew he's going to be a head coach. Um, uh, Devin Thomas, the other day, the great New York Giant wide receiver, was telling me how, you know, the, just the way he was and, and the way he commanded a room. Um, I think this is, you know, the NFL at times, a lot of times goes in waves. I think you're seeing with D'Amico, you're seeing with Dan Campbell, you're seeing um, with Antonio Pierce, the wave now is moving. Hey, we got to get players. People have been in the game, not just some old guy that never did anything. We got to get somebody in there. I love this new wave of bringing in these kind of coaches. How about you? Not everybody can do it, but those guys can. And obviously, we Doug Peterson can, who was, wasn't really part of a wave. But uh, what struck me was the, the command and what struck me was that Antonio Pierce looked more ready for this opportunity than I think anybody would have necessarily expected. If you look at his resume on paper, you don't necessarily know well, that's going to be the guy. But folks, that's kind of the way it happens sometimes. When Mike Tomlin was hired to be the Raiders head coach, I'm sorry, the Steelers head coach, a lot of people were like, the resume is a little light and thin. But when you checked in with players, especially around, I think that was the Vikings, they were like, oh, no, this is going to be a guy. This is just looks like the right fit, the right place, the right time, the right guy. And again, I, I'm not giving you a cheerleading. That's just an evaluation from afar. There are intangibles here. There's a discipline, an organization, an understanding of the modern player that has some significant value. I think Antonio Pierce can get the most out of his roster. And that's what the Raiders are going to need. They need to overachieve to get where they want to go. This era is about to begin. I agree. All right, everybody. I'm Hondo Carpenter from Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation, Las Vegas Raiders Insider Podcast. You can follow me on IG at HondoSR. You can grab me on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Hondo Carpenter. Also, go to si.com forward slash NFL forward slash Raiders for all of our articles. Yesterday, I think we did 10 or 11. We pound out the content for you every day, 100% free. Upper right-hand corner, click on newsletter, and uh, three days a week, we'll send you an email. We don't spam you. We don't sell your information. 
but we'll give you our latest article. You'll never miss anything again. Check it out. We'll see you all there. Johnny, great to have you. Can't wait to have you again next week. Talk to you all later. This has been a Las Vegas Raiders Insider production on the Fans First Sports Network. Whoa.